remember, it was probably a year ago I was here, um, and I remember talking about growth. And just really exciting because the building is ready for you guys just to explode into it. And I, in my spirit, just have a real sense that, that this growth process is really going to start to accelerate. Uh, a key word for leadership and for any organisation is momentum. So once that momentum starts happening, it's really exciting and powerful. And I just have this real sense of a building up process. You guys have done a great job. You've been pressing into God and everything is just ready to move. And so I'm really excited. A um, little um, competitive here because we started a building project almost the same time. And uh, you guys, I'm, you know, streets ahead of me. Uh, so we just waited and waited and waited. And oh my gosh, I tell you what, it is, as a leader that lives in the dream, like Alan and Jackie and you guys, you dream in your vision, your hopes are in it. And it's like you, in your mind, it's already there. Uh, and so it's so frustrating, you know, every day you're kind of excited, you go up there and it's like, ah, oh. so I empathise, um, but you're, you're streets ahead of us, but uh, we're catching up actually, we had a bit of a burst of momentum and we've got a group called Mobile Mission Maintenance, they're missionaries, they're old guys uh, in the 70s that, uh, sorry about that, older, mature, mature people, Dal, sorry Dal, mature people that uh, give their time uh, to do practical service. And they've been coming in and they're really rocking it. So we're catching up. So a bit of competition there. But I'm thinking you're still, I'm here and you're, you're shooting for a month. I think we're probably a couple of months away, but we'll see if we can close the gap. But Father, I pray, I'm going to press in right now in the name of Jesus for a month that we get a Rice Church in, in a month, that we get it ready, we get the certificate from the City Council, in the name of Jesus, that you would move the natural things, you would move uh, the people that need to happen, the release of the resources, and make it happen in a month, in the name of Jesus. So, um, I did Strength Finder yesterday, really exciting to uh, come and share with you guys, and I had a time with your elders afterwards, and I, I just was so blessed and so impressed, you know, like... I was sharing with the elders that um, my time as a leader has not always been really smooth. Um, I was a junior elder that took over from a whole lot of older elders that have been there forever. And anybody that's been in the corporate world know that that's pretty, uh, it's a hard thing to do because you're trying to lead and, you know, the older elders are still trying to run the ship sometimes. And so I took over and it was, it seemed like it was turbulent for a long, long time. And really, really hard. And, um, you know, I'm at the place now where our eldership is the absolute key. Uh, I'm a kind of a, well, I have to say that I'm strong and I'm gifted because I taught on it. But I am a bit of a weird kind of personality for a leader. I'm not a powerful, commanding, inspirational kind of leader. But I've got an amazing eldership. And the thing is that when you have a unified, secure uh, eldership that love each other and trust each other, everything just happens. The Holy Spirit comes in. You guys can feel so secure and safe uh, and expectant of good things because your eldership uh, are so unified. And it's just such an incredible rich mix of strengths. So many people that are inspired with dreams uh, of what they see. The passion that they have in this team is incredible. There is like literally jet engines in these these elders that are particularly, you feel the energy, um, particularly with some of them that have that strength of belief. It's a very powerful, passionate, committed strength. And uh, we've got the organising strength, we've got the, the people with empathy and those ones that make people feel heard. And so 
It's just an eldership that has got such a rich mix, um, e- exactly what is needed for this explosion that you're going to have. So I'm really blessed for you. Um, I, I just want to say again, I think I said it last time, I'm a bit of a visual person. I, I'm creative, but I have no creative talent. So I can't dance, can't sing, can't draw, can't paint, but inside I'm an artist, <laughs> uh, I think. And so when I see art, I get inspired I just can't do it. And so um, when I look at the arise, I'm being really serious here. I think it's brilliant. I, I just love that crisp word arise. It's so inspiring. And I love the stars. I, I love the stars. And I love that little simple. It's beautiful in its simplicity, clarity, and inspiringness, born for more. I'm really serious, actually. I, I want to give you credit. Uh, I'm not a graphic artist or a logo kind of person, but I'm sitting here looking at it, particularly the stars and the light on the stars, forcing, causing you as a church to be inspired and to look uh, more. And it just flows so much out of Alan's positivity, his maximise, his dream for, for more, for more, and his belief in his ability to inspire and make everybody else believe that you can do more. I just, um, you know, I was actually, I'm not being over, you know, pathetic here, but I was actually sitting here thinking, I'd love to come down. If I wasn't so far away, I'd love to join this church. And I, I'm being really serious because I love Alan and Jackie's passion and I love energy. I, I, I love energy and I love Alan's energy. He's like a nuclear reactor and he's just so much energy and positive i'm not very positive but i got energy but he's got positivity he's an exhorter and he's full of energy and i'm like oh i want some of that i want to be with that so i'm thinking oh man maybe i can spend a month down here and just be with him because look he's just you know these guys are so awesome and i'm really excited this is great and you guys not only have a great eldership but you have amazing pastors their courage, their passion, and their commitment, and their belief in what the church should be and what their church is going to be. It's a really exciting time. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really blessed to be here. Now, some of you guys don't know me. Uh, I'm not sure if you are all here last time, maybe. Um, but, yeah, I talked about growth. And I want to kind of touch on that a little bit more because, like I said, I feel like you've put a lot of things together, including preparing. Uh, as a hermit crab, you prepared a new shell you're about to go into. But I feel like, you know, God said in Genesis, be fruitful, so learn how to create. Then learn how to multiply it and then fill the earth. And I really feel like you guys have been working at learning how to create this thing called church and arise. You're ready to multiply. And, and that's where the, the, the acceleration starts. And so, um, yeah, I just want to really bring a few thoughts uh, about this. So growth is an interesting thing because you need an environment to grow in, don't you? So if you're a fish, you, you have a water environment, but you can't grow out of that. So, you know, there's a lot of room in that ocean uh, for you to be free, but it needs to be wet. Uh, if you're an elephant, you need a dry environment, but if you're a plant, you need an environment, which is the soil. So, you know, all growth has to be in an environment, and there's certain qualities that need to be in that environment, don't they? And so um, when you come down even further, uh, that's for physical growth. When you come down into spiritual and moral growth and all of that, there's another environment that's called a culture. 
And a culture is a really very, very powerful thing. And, and really, it's, culture is what I want to talk about because as a leader that's been around for a little while, I recognize how powerful culture is because it is the nutrients. It is the, it's the current. It's the, the power force that lifts a group of people up and carries them and starts to define their identity. And, and, it's, and it's also the environment with which the Holy Spirit comes into uh, into a culture of people. And so I want to talk about kingdom culture. So when we look at um, a culture, uh, a definition is shared patterns of thinking. You, you think the same. You, you, you believe the same thing. And you agree on it. Now, you not only think those things, but you act on them. So you behave those things that you think about, Right? Uh, and then what happens is those people that think those things and behave that way, you actually start to become the soil. You actually become the environment. And then what happens is people that come into that culture, they actually grow in you and they become like you. Do you understand? So you, a group of people come together. They believe and start behaving according to a certain set of values and belief systems then they create this current, this incredible, nutritious, spiritual um, kind of current and environment. And then people come in and then they grow into being like you because you therefore become that environment. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that's how, how cultures work. So you have a young boy born in America. He, he could have been born anywhere in the world. But because he's born in America, he has certain... Uh, things that he does, the ways that he behaves. Do you understand? And so we're about a Christian culture uh, and we have to look to the Bible to define what this culture would look like uh, so that we can be it and create that spiritual current and nutritious environment where people come in and they just grow into that. And so the culture, especially when you're starting to grow forward, is extremely important. So uh, here's an example. Uh, As I said, shared uh, thinking and behaviours starts to form the very identity of the people that are in this particular group. Um, so it comes out of the um, French and, and before that Latin word colère, which actually means to tend the earth so as to grow. So it is like the soil. Uh, it's the same word as soil, where you cultivate and prepare it so that plants can grow. And so that's literally what you're doing in terms of growing your identity uh, and the, the belief systems of people and this entity called Arise Church. So uh, you become the environment, you become the soil, you become the garden, you become the greenhouse, you become the oven, you become the factory. That's who you are because you believe and you agree. You actually agree about this set of things that you think the Bible says are important. And if you agree with them, you do them. You walk in, they become you. And therefore you set a tone and then others really grow into that as well. So, um, yeah, I've, um, I've been around uh, 51 years, and I've seen lots of cultures uh, overseas and all sorts of places. First time I became aware of a culture was down in Melbourne. So I grew up in Melbourne, and it's, it's probably one of the, I think, one of the richest cities culture-wise. You've got the Greek culture, the Italian culture. It's quite rich, and uh, immigration has gone well down there, I think. There's some tensions at the moment, but... 
every uh, identity has got its own def, uh, defined culture, and it's really, really lovely to see. But it was actually an Italian soccer club uh, called Melbourne City Soccer Club, which was the first time as a young boy, and particularly as a young sports player, where I thought to myself, oh, what? Because what happened was on the tele, uh, what happened is a lot of the soccer clubs, the, you know, the Australians or the, the Northern European or Anglo-Saxon Australians, they played AFL. It was the Italians and the Greeks and the Southern Europeans that played soccer, and we let them play soccer in that in those days. It's different now. And so on the news, you'd sort of see all these problems with the soccer, all these sorts of things, because what happened is. Robbie Nicolades would get his cousin Maria to look after the, the spaghetti stand at half time and she'd be making lots of money and it was also Robbie's mate Mario that was doing the concreting around the place and there's all these family contacts going on and the culture was pretty messed up and because the culture was bad in the soccer clubs, the players never performed and that's where I had a problem. As a young kid, I thought, what's a culture got to do? It's all up to the kids that play soccer. If they're talented, they're going to win. But they kept saying, oh, then they're not playing very well and soccer's not developing well because of the culture of the club. And I didn't get it. I thought, it's got nothing to do. It's completely up to the individuals to make their choice to play hard and to be good. But now I look at it and I realise that a really rich, strong culture in a club, sports club or a church or whatever it is, actually creates powerful, powerful players or church members. Now, let's dip over to... um, the Melbourne Storm. So whenever you talk about Melbourne Storm, they talk about culture. Now, the Melbourne Storm players, the bizarre thing about these guys is they all look the same. It's like you see them running down the aisle and they, they look like Terminator, Terminator 1, Terminator 1. It's like frightening. There's something about them that looks the same, but they all look different. It's weird. And this is the amazing thing about when you create a culture. There's incredible individual freedom of expression but there's incredible th- dynamic where everybody is the same. The power of one and yet incredible diversity. So every Melbourne Storm player is incredibly talented and free and expressive. However, there's something about them that's weird. They all look the same. They all look like these machine terminators because of their culture. And there's probably very simple values in their culture that they embrace. And I think it's cheat, cheat, cheat. No, 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 no. No, I, I, think, I think there's... Um, there's certain, there's certain values that have been embedded and they're not complicated. I would suspect that when you overcomplicate with millions of things that everybody needs, you just shut down. You come with one simple thing. This is what we're about. Born for more. Brilliant. It's clear. Born for more. It's very inspiring. And so uh, I don't know what it is that the coach says in the Melbourne Storm, but he's got rich freedom. Everybody is an individual. Everybody is maximised into their talent. But there's a fundamental thing that makes every one of them look alike. And you knock one of them off and another one comes. They're just, you know, indestructible. Ivan Cleary hasn't got this yet, but that's okay. Um, So, you know, here we have the irony is one city... Uh, not far away, we've got one club that's a total mess and we've got another club that is unbelievable. Now, it doesn't matter about where you live, it's the particular culture that you develop in your club that defines absolute brilliance and power, you know. And so let's go to uh, Detroit. I've started a YWAM Centre in Detroit. It's a broken down American city and it's really exciting seeing the city be rebuilt. The interesting thing about De- Detroit, you can literally drive over the border into Canada. 
immediately, it's like you step over a line and it feels totally different. The people on the other side are Canadian. They think totally different. So on one side, they're saying, oh, yeah, I'm great, and man, if someone makes me mad, I'm going to kill them. I'll shoot them, or whatever it might be. If you go into Canada, they're like, oh, yeah, well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, everybody. If someone needs to die, it's me. You know. And so you've got totally different personalities. It's bizarre. Same like this, totally different personalities, but they are totally different. Uh, and so close. It's because the socialisation of, you know, and it's happening with their parents, uh, the Canadian TV, the American TV, and you, they're defined and you have this product called Canadian. And then you have this thing called American. Now, come back right here, just up the road, there's a border and there's this place called Queensland, right? And, and so here you have New South Wales and Queensland and very clearly... One people group is smarter, better looking, and play better rugby league. <laughs> now, literally, you could just step across the line. How, how, <laughs> how are they so different? Now, literally, uh, Alan and Jackie's kids, I'm being serious here. I actually don't lie. I'm being serious. Their kids are ridiculously good looking. But I would say that if they had a baby tomorrow and a stork picked up one and carried it over the border... He would become smarter, better looking, and a better rugby play better rugby league. At purely not because of genes, but because of the culture. And so, culture is incredibly powerful. It really is incredibly powerful. And so, if we can get hold of this as leaders, and if all of our people can get hold of this and know how to create that current. And here's the thing, it's about agreeing, it's about finding and the harmony people get this. If you can find a simple, clear thing that you agree with and say, this statement across the board, we agree and we're one. And you start not only agreeing in it, but you start moving in it practically and actively, you create a powerful current. So let me tell you a little story here, uh, and it might make me sound like I'm a bit of a, a vandal, but I rented a house and in that house, it was an old house, and they had a, uh, an in-ground swimming pool. And what had happened is it had cracked, so all the water ran out. So they put lining. They went to a lot of expense and put a, a plastic lining inside that pool. And so, but it was, it was kind of getting a bit rickety. And I got like 25, 30 Wyomings in the pool, and I didn't know what was going to happen. We said, let's start a whirlpool. Now, you know, in a pool, everybody wants to have fun. Everybody's an individual, wants to express themselves, and some people want to splash, they want to play balls or whatever it might be. But, you know, when you do a whirlpool, what happens is everybody stops for a moment and they start pulling in the same direction. Everybody starts going. And then the current goes slowly and then faster and faster, and it becomes an incredibly powerful force. Then, once everybody's riding on that current, when you're riding on the current, everybody's carried by it. Everybody's lifted by it. And then people are kicking back and people are, you know, on their lilo, people are having a drink. And they're getting sucked around and pulled and carried by the current. Do you know what I mean? We did this and we sucked the plastic right off the pool. Totally destroyed the pool. And the water just went... And, and they had to bring a bulldozer in and fill in the pool. And I didn't know it was going to happen, but it was the power... It was the power of the current that sucked that lining right off. And, and in a sense, it totally changed the landscape <laughs> of the, the whole backyard. And so, um, you know, I'm speaking as a leader that's got some experience that's actually seen this dynamic happen. 
and I've had to do it because I'm not as gifted. I'm not a positive guy. I'm not, you know, as charismatic. These guys are so amazing. I've struggled in my leadership to find my place, and I realise that team, and I don't care how great your personality is, the power of change is not out of your personality. You use your personality to get everybody on the same page because it's your church. It's you agreeing with God, actually, not agreeing necessarily with them in their humanness. Their job is to go to you and say, no, 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 not your culture, not your culture. It's not American culture. It's not British culture. It's not Queensland culture. It's kingdom culture. That's their job. And then you agree because you say, yeah, of course, I need to agree. Then you join forces and you become powerful and you create that current. So that's what culture is. It's It's the power of agreement together. Now, um, probably about two years ago, I really started working really hard on this whole thing of creating that current, that visual image. I thought, I've got to do this. And as the centre has grown, as my ministry centre has grown, it's gotten diversified. And so because it's starting to have individual expression, like a business, I can't micromanage and control everybody. And so... I've realised more and more that I need that culture of having everybody heading in the same direction. Then I don't need to micromanage. So I thought, I'm going to make one primary statement on my YWAM base and then I'll keep my nose out of other things. Now, this is in a different place. Alan and Jackie have to be a lot more involved in because everything is forming. Mine, I've got 80 staff and about 150 students a year. It's different. We're an RTO with the government, so it's very complicated. So it's at a different place. But I had to more and more as I went on to depend on culture. So I thought, this is my thing. And I started, I'm going to tell you what it is in a moment, but I started to say, everybody, I am going to follow you up if you don't do this. I am going to talk to you. I'm going to keep preaching about this. I'm going to talk with great authority if you don't do this one thing. Now what happened was... um, I've got a centre full of Scandinavians, Americans, Canadians, all sorts of people, Danish people, you know, whatever it might be. And what I, the, I'll tell you what the thing was. The thing is this. Uh, I'm not a great reader, and I, I'm, so, I'm sorry, this is terrible. I've actually never read the whole Bible through. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but I've been around for a while, and I've been in lots of services, and I've read a lot of it. But I, I thought to myself... Actually, if I just read the first chapter, I pretty much know the whole Bible, actually. And I'm not giving you an excuse. You need to read the Bible. But I, feel, I have this theory that after reading the first chapter, the rest of the book is actually just telling the rest of, the story, the rest of that story in a different way. Because it says that God created man in his image. So the most infinitely valuable creature on the planet created something of infinite value called mankind. Bam. Okay. I know the rest of the story. The whole rest of the story is about how valuable mankind is. And I can go, oh, I think probably what's going to happen is there's going to be a bad guy that comes along and says to this beautiful, extremely valuable creation, oh, you're not very valuable. Don't listen to those rules or guidelines because he's just, you know, a bad guy. And then the valuable creation starts doing things. It starts to damage its value and gets lost and hurt and wounded. And then I think what happens is the good figure that's God, it's going to come along 
and rescue everybody and chase the bad guy away. I think, I think that's your general... Is that the story of the Bible? Something like that? Yeah, yeah. But look, the central message is, very clearly, you are infinitely valuable. You're priceless. And every single person on the planet is so unimaginably valuable that we can't comprehend. That's the central message of the whole kingdom, that people are valuable. So I said this on my center. I said, I'm sick of this nonsense where I would, someone would walk past another human being and totally ignore them. I'm sick of youth culture that's so cocky and so uh, cool that uses this thing called indifference. It says, hmm, you know, that's called indifference and it actually is so destructive because it says you have no valuable at all, value at all. I'm not even going to express any emotion. I'm, not even, I'm going to pretend you don't even exist. You know, it's so destructive. But, you know, I also had these Danish people say, oh, don't, I don't, we don't like to talk to people unless we know them really well. I said, I don't care. This is not Denmark. This is another human being. And by the way, Del, you, I, I've heard about you. You are the, one of the most powerful person in this church because you are acknowledging everybody, giving energy and value and talking to everybody because that's exactly what I told my culture to do. I said, whether you know anybody or not, you smile, say, good morning. If you walk past the same staff member six times during the day, you say, hi, how you doing? You know, and you greet people and you acknowledge them because they are valuable. And you practice that in this culture. And then what happens is my culture started doing that and I kept at them and there was argument because the Americans, you know, they might think, well, I'm actually more valuable than everybody else. Uh, no, <laughs> you're not. Then the Canadians, well, oh, I don't want to talk to everybody because, um, you know, I'm a bit cynical about this whole thing called love. And, you know, the, the Australians are a little bit like, oh, I love, you know, ripping into people and, you know, whatever it might be. And, you know, and the Europeans like, well, we just don't talk to anybody. And I'm like, I don't, give a, I don't care what your cultural views are. This is the kingdom culture. And I'm not telling you how to live your life or in any other way right here, but I am telling you that if this is a kingdom culture, the central theme of the whole Bible, the whole kingdom, is every human being is valuable. If you cannot express value through your warmth and your generosity of encouragement and your acknowledge and your response to another person... Don't go, don't do Christianity any further. That's, that's Christianity 101. That's missions 101. So we're a missions organization. I've actually said, if I, if I see that you can't even give warmth to someone and acknowledge them, you're not going on missions. That's nonsense. You're, you're supposed to be going on missions to tell people that they're valuable and God loves them and you can't even look them in the eye and smile and give them warmth. You can't physically give anybody warmth. Well, let me tell you, I hammered that for two years and the last two years, my center has had this incredible current. And I went to Europe, <laughs> and I was going through Europe. I even went into France, and there's this, you don't exist. <laughs> and I went through that. I went back to my center, and I arrived. I was smashed, and our building project, we had a bobcat driver that had been there for two days, and he was packing up in the street. And I thought, oh, I don't want to go and say hello to him because he's packing up, but I thought I should. I walked up to him. And he was as bright as a button. He'd spent two days on my YWAM center with my staff, right? His wife had recently let him, left him. He's as angry as anything. He's wounded out of his brain. I walked up to him and he was bright as a button and he was so open to me and he started telling me his story for about 20 minutes and I listened to him. 
And then he said, you know why I'm telling you this? And because I'm so encouraged. He said, everybody on your center is so nice. Everybody is so kind and nice. And I stopped him and I, I had permission to share. I didn't share about Jesus, but I basically told him the gospel. I said, well, they better be because we're Christians. And as Christians, our fundamental belief is that God created us as valuable and you are valuable. And if they did not treat you valuable, I would be furious at them. And I would say we are failing at Christianity. And so I basically said to him, you're, you're valuable, mate, and I'm sorry about your pain. And I prayed for him. And, mate, it just created the fact that everybody was acknowledging his value and giving him warmth blew his mind. And he couldn't stop talking about it. And he was open, and I shared the gospel to him pretty much right there and then. So, um, you know, it, it was so exciting. But like I said, all these different uh, staff initially started coming to me saying, you know, I'm European or I'm American. We don't do that. And I said, I don't care. You know, you're not making this America. You're not making this Australia. You're not making this church or this YWAM centre Danish. This is the kingdom. And I said, this is how it's going to be. So um, now what happened was we've, got a, we've probably got about uh, 70 new students come. And they're from Scandinavia, they're from all over the world, America, Canada, and they've come in with their cultural stuff. Not only their cultural stuff, but their youth, you know, their youth, you know, mean-spirited stuff. And the, I'm, you know what I mean, young people. We've all been there, and, and it's a brutal, the school ground is a brutal place. It really is brutal. And they've come in with all this stuff. So I'm walking in after hearing this story from the Bobcat guy. And what I realised is they were all my staff that had talked to him. And I'm so proud. I'm thinking, we've got this. This is working. I walk up the stairs. And there's all these students. And they're all wounded out of their brain, new students. They've been there for a week. It's been brutally hot. And they're just roasting. You know, it's two weeks ago. I walked up there and I'd say hi. And these young kid's going... And, and every one of them that I, I will go, hi. And I know I'm a weird old fella, you know, like, I understand that. But they didn't know that I'm the lead. I'm not expecting them to, in fact, I would rather that they do it to a visitor rather than me. I don't want them to do it to me because I'm a leader. I want them to do it because I'm a valuable human being. And they were not. And I was really ticked off. So that Monday morning, I got in front of them and I said, I don't, I don't care where you come from. I don't care even how broken or hurt or wounded you are. You need to try. And I, I'm an introvert, and a lot of introverts use an excuse, and they say, oh, I'm an introvert. These extroverts, you know, like Alan, or they dance, or, you know, those stupid, you know, extroverts. You know, I'm an introvert. Some introverts are very selfish. They're very selfish, and, and I've been there where you... And I don't get any energy. And when we're talking about a current, you have to give energy. And now, I don't expect an extrovert to dance. I don't dance. Jackie, you and me, we're, we're together. Uh, but I, I've never da- I don't dance. Um, but I, you notice what Alan does. Whenever you talk to Alan, there's an, a wall of energy that comes back. He meets you with his energy. You have a joke. He's always got, you know, he's got a response. He's got to come back. He's giving you energy. You, you know, because a lot of introverts, it's just like the energy dissipates. It's gone. And so as a leader, you're trying to build this incredible current of energy. And if you don't respond, it's actually quite hurtful. So if someone makes themselves vulnerable to you and then you, you know, indifferent or whatever it is, then they are less likely to do it again. 
And then if it happens a few times, then they start pulling back and you just shut down all the energy. You shut down the whole culture. So anybody that has a joke with you, you know, it's like, oh, laugh. You know, pretend to laugh. I don't care. Give something to them. Uh, you know, uh, even if it's a weird, awkward response, which I always give um, because I'm a bit slow, I'm giving something back. And see, uh, you know, as leaders, you, you get this because you feel and you understand the power of that. And when people are like this or people, you know, and people say, oh, I'm listening, you know, well, learn how to listen and give back as well. So when someone gives you vulnerability or energy, you give back. So Dell does it all the time. So, you know, this is what creates an incredibly powerful culture of value. So how long is I supposed to speak? Oh, my goodness, what time is it? How? Another eight minutes, okay. All right. So, look, I hope, you, um, I hope you're kind of picking up what I'm saying here. This, this is the culture that's going to start to shape you and start to create a rich environment. And you know when there's a flood? It's usually pretty fertile after it, isn't it? All the effluent from everybody's, you know, everywhere. So, you know, things grow after that. And so it does create something powerful. So this is important for you to start to know how to grow. So I would say and that, that Arise Church would like to make that as one of their, you know, cultural, important, central things of agreement. Uh, and there's probably others as well. So um, let me just race through quickly then. So mankind is valuable and all people are valuable. Uh, so, yep, yeah, uh, you know, sometimes like these Americans and Canadians, Europeans that were opposing me initially, I had to hold strong. And my, it's like, I'm not micromanaging, I'm not controlling you on everything else, but I'm standing strong in this one because I know I'm right because it's the Bible and it's not your country. Now, sometimes you have that in church where people have different expectations or th- their values. And like I said, uh, and harmony people with the strength of harmony are really good at this because they know that, okay, everybody might have all of these values, but you have to, as a mature person, say, all right, there's, there's minor values, and let's not fight a war over something that's my own minor cultural preference. Let's find the central river, and let's agree on that. And so, and let's not fight and hold back until I get my minor issue. That is never going to work. It just can't happen, and it causes turbulence, causes, you know, you know, going around in circles, it causes a lot of mess. And so we need to find that central place. So um, we're cult- we have to be a culture of value. So um, very, very quickly, um, this is my scripture. <laughs> I haven't been teaching you anything. I've just been exhorting you this morning. I'm not a great teacher. So uh, Matthew 17 is really fascinating. I've five minutes to do this. That this is one of these brilliantly worded communicators. You know, the art of using words to say so much. This is one of the, the scriptures in the Bible that says so much profundity, profundity and... Did I say profundity? So much profundity in one quick sentence. If you've ever read this, it is amazing. Behold, a voice from heaven, from the heavens, said, This is my son. He made a statement about his identity. This is my son. You belong. Feel secure. You are safe. You belong. Nothing can change it. You are my son. So profound. Whom I love. He's made a statement about his absolute unchangeable value. And then he's made a statement about his significance, his achievement. 
And this is what I find really fascinating with this scripture. The first one, my identity, was always set. It's, it's never been different. And it's actually the father was giving the identity to his son. The father was making a statement of value to Jesus. But the one thing that Jesus had responsibility for was his significance. And we often get this mixed up. We get our significance and our value mixed up. And we get confused. So God was waiting for 30 years to watch Jesus' performance. Watch what he did. And he was waiting for Jesus to give value to the world. Jesus was loving. He was giving value. He was recognizing value. He was fighting for you because you were valuable. He was preparing, laying down his life to serve you because you were valuable. So God watched this for uh, 30 years to make this statement. You know, a lot of us, we're freaking out if someone doesn't give us encouragement about the job that we do uh, after the first time. We're freaked out and we collapse in discouragement because we think that if they don't encourage us about our performance, then they don't value us. They're totally different things. And, and God separated these things very clearly. Your identity is one thing. Your value is a different, but your performance is different. God was actually waiting to make that statement about Jesus' performance and his significance on the earth based on what he did. Not about his, his value is about who he is. He doesn't have to do anything. But we are expected to perform. And, and that performance means add value. I can't add any value in the music world. So when I tried to lead worship for the first time and this young person got up in the middle of worship and took the guitar off me and took over worship, I shouldn't have collapsed through the floor with my value. It was purely a significance thing. I am insignificant in the era of music. Do you understand? When I was... The the reason I'm bringing this up because I remember as a little kid playing hockey. I played field hockey. And my father was old school where you don't give encouragement and you kind of do use reverse psychology tell people they're bad so they do better. I get, I'm not sure what books they read, but uh, that was his philosophy and he was always really criticising me. But I noticed, that I remember as a little kid, he would talk about my game and I would just be shattered. I would cry like a baby and I'm so embarrassed. I'd cry, you know, I was such a sook. I'm like, he's talking about my performance. Why was I so shattered? Because as a kid, you, you can't separate. It's so hard to separate the two. As grown adults, you have to clearly separate. Alan and Jackie love me. I'm valuable. The church loves me. My performance is a totally different thing. So if I got up here and wanted to play the guitar, Alan and Jackie should say, no, you're not. And I'm like, okay, all right, no problem. I'm loved. I'm secure. And people could criticise my preaching, they can criticise anything about my performance and I should be okay to receive that objectively without falling and crashing through the floor. So I tried this with my son who plays soccer. Uh, He's he's a little bit um, stronger in this area but I would give him a little bit of feedback. I'd give ample, ample encouragement and then I'd sort of try to give him a little bit of feedback about what he might have done wrong in the soccer field. Raging reaction. Wow. Okay, so you haven't been able to separate the two. Uh, Performance is about giving value in an area that you can contribute in your strengths, your talents, in the area that you're gifted and called in. It's got no statement at all on your value at all. 
And that's wonderful because you can stand firm and no matter what criticism, what happens in your performance, it should theoretically not affect you. You should, you might be annoyed or discouraged or whatever it is because you'd had hopes and dreams that you could be a good musician, but it shouldn't affect your value at all. That's, that's the way it should, we, we, we need to get to that place. And that's all of our goal is to know that we're valuable because the problem is it's hard to give value when you are trying to get people to give it to you. So this is where lust comes in. This is where conditional love comes in because uh, I want something from you towards my value. If I don't need anything from you, I can give value and I never run out because I'm not panicking thinking, I need some, I can't give any away. So so I was thinking about this and it's a very honest statement just to come to the, the close of my message. There's a figure in my family and I'm not going to mention the name, uh, this person in my family has an expression of, well, it's not love, it's called indifference. And so our whole life together, there's no emotion. It's like, I don't care. Mm. You know, this kind of give nothing, give no warmth, give no mo- emotion, no encouragement, no affection, no nothing. And I've thought uh, about this person dying and I, I feel guilty because, how do I say it? Uh, you know, when someone takes from you, when, they're, when someone is taking value from you, it's almost a relief when they're not around. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, how am I going to respond when this person dies? Uh, I'm kind of worried that I won't be sad. I'm worried that, that I'll be relieved. And, and that's a horrible, I feel guilty about that. But the reason is this person indifferent says you don't exist. You are nothing. You, you are nothing. That's why you see these little women who have indifferent husbands that are risking their lives by screaming hysterically and risking their hurt because even a punch or a, a rage from him at least acknowledges that you exist, right? But when you get a wall of nothing, it's probably one of the most emotionally devastating things because that person says you are nothing. And so I'm thinking about this person dying and the sad statement about the person is that I'm actually asking a question about their significance. Now, that person has been significant. They contributed to the workforce and added value to the world through their work. But in terms of relationship, you've got to ask yourself if you are continually taking value, sometimes, you know, it's almost, you know, well, no, I won't say that. The way that we become significant is that we give value to people. If I want to be missed when I die, it's because so many people have been loved by me, so many people receive value from me, but if I have lusted or taken or robbed or stolen from people, it might be a relief when I'm gone because I'm draining and taking value from people. And so we need to know our identity, we need to know our value, and then work becomes exciting because our work, our job every day is actually creating and adding value because I'm valuable, I add value to the world. So, look, I hope that um, some of this has been helpful this morning. I didn't really say a lot. I had all these other points, but sometimes one is good. You know, you guys are valuable. I think that's awesome that this bobcat driver feels so loved just by people walking past and saying, hi, 
Hi, Bob, the Bobcat driver. I don't know what his name was. But, you know, oh, how are you doing? How are, you know, that he's so impacted because he feels recognised that he wants to hear the gospel because he's thinking, what's going on here? We have this often, actually, uh, on our YOM centre. When we're in a good place, when we've got our culture really rocking like that, we'll have people walk on the centre and they'll say, this place feels different. I mean, it's a bit weird because we've got people from all over the planet there anyway, so it's always going to look different. But we constantly have this feeling, this, this feedback when people come, unsaved people, this feels different. And I think you can reprodu- reproduce the same thing. It's not just what happens is when you smile and give warmth to that person, something is happening in the spiritual realm. So, look, I'll leave those thoughts with you. I'm truly excited about this church and these are awesome pastors and so courageous and so passionate about the kingdom of God and uh, one thing about the kingdom of God, you're probably aware that the culture of a lot of our churches are not actually the culture of what the church should be. These guys are committed and passionate to create a church that is a kingdom culture Um, and so give them that latitude uh, and let's come to a place of agreement to be the church that the Bible says that we should be and you guys are going to explode. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here.